From Immersive Labs, this is Cyberhumanity. Hello again, I'm your host Chris Pace. Cyberhumanity is the podcast taking cybersecurity personally, trying to get inside the heads of hackers, as well as putting our feet in the shoes of defenders. These podcasts essentially come in two flavours, either us ranting about themes close to the hearts of security types, or us chatting about threat and security stuff from recent weeks. As always, I'm joined by my three cyber amigos, Kev Breen, Max Vetter, and Paul Bentham. Hello. Hello. Uh, we are starting in the world of crypto. Full disclosure, I don't really, I don't really know very much about crypto. <laughs> I always feel a little bit on the back foot when someone says, "Oh, we're going to do a crypto story, Chris," and I'm a little bit like, "Okay, that sounds interesting," and it genuinely is interesting. Um, but it always involves a lot of explaining because I never really get it. But luckily, Max and Kev know quite a bit about uh, crypto. Max, right, do you want to explain, that, Chris? Well, I mean, I was you, you, I was using it as an opportunity um, to remind everyone um, that Max owns some uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, yeah. How, well, how is it, Max? How's that going? My long-term investment's going great. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and what, is that, when you say it's a long-term investment, you mean it's locked away and you can't actually get to exactly. it? Exactly. The best way of investing yeah. long-term is make sure you can't take it out. Uh, and you forget, have definitely made sure you can't take it out. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm waiting <laughs> till it's is, really. How much is it worth now, Max? Significantly less than when we last talked about it. Oh really? Yeah, oh, it's well, gone that's down bad. Yeah. It's gone down by about forty percent. Hey, I think right, probably. So how much have what, you lost in the well, last? What's the, uh, You'd have sold it last time we talked about this as well, wouldn't you? I would have, but yeah. Uh, oh no, it's still it's all right. Probably about. It's half a Bitcoin I've got for for all, or I don't have for all the listeners. Um, <laughs> Which is so a Bitcoin's thirty four thousand pounds sterling uh, today, uh, so ha- half of that, uh, which is down. Yeah, it has gone down. Yeah, it's gone down a bit yeah, since last time. Down, so yeah. that long term so, investment so isn't how? playing out all that well. Well, you know, yeah. I'm, so waiting. I'm waiting. Well, it depends. I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> We're basically trying to troll Max. So yeah, luckily it wasn't. It wasn't twenty thousand Bitcoin, which some some people have lost, as as I'm sure everyone knows. No, well, I'm not, this I'm not trawling also... through, uh, through you know, h- rubbish heaps and trying to get, get councils to help me, uh, at least. Well, our first story this week is also about someone who um, lost some Bitcoin, but they were relieved of it. That's the, the way that the article has described it. So Colorado resident Andrew Schober was relieved of 16.4 Bitcoin, which they're saying is worth around $780,000 in today's market, after he spent... Uh, after he spent 10 grand on private investigation fees now trying to find who stole his bitcoin so kev there's a bit of technicals behind this in it because he obviously got got conned basically he got robbed um so how did that happen back in 2018 uh yeah so back in 18 uh, a couple of kids sat in their their bedroom thought i know what i want to do i want to grab some malware and I want to spread it around and see what happens which is what they did uh, and I think one of the things they embedded uh, in their their malware uh, was they put their malware in a, a Electrum uh, Atom application which is a cryptocurrency wallet and basically this malware uh, gives those kids the ability to monitor everything that's happening on on this guy's computer so like all the the passwords he's typing in and everything um 
And at some point, uh, he used his crypto currency, transferred a load of cryptocurrency. Uh, the kids then had access to his wallet and his passwords. So they thought, I know what we should do. Let's steal all of that cryptocurrency, which is exactly what they did. And that's a lot of money as well. I mean, I guess back in 2018, it was still, it was still quite a lot, right? It was. I was just looking at this. It wasn't actually that much back in 2018. I think it was only three and a half thousand dollars. So oh, it was God, like fifty. Me. So this this whole story would have been a bit of a non-story. Kids steal fifty-eight thousand U.S. dollars. Now it's kids steal seven hundred and eighty thousand dollars. It does seem a bit unfair that they're getting you know sued for seven hundred and eighty k when actually they only stole fifty-eight k. I mean, if, if you roll it back, like in 2018, cryptocurrency wasn't as synonymous as it is now. So that headline would have been kids stole digital tokens like there wasn't the the same kind of monetary effect that it has these days and what's the what's the clipboard scaring part of this like am i right in thinking that he copied and paste copied and pasted his password from somewhere to somewhere and the malware that was on the machine was obviously reading the clipboard and so that's how they got his that's how they got his wallet details is that am i right uh, we don't know exactly what happened, but like, if this ransomware was... Uh, what we typically see is these uh, uh, rats, remote access trojans, and these are for free or for $20 in every good uh, hacker forum all over the internet. So you don't even have to go dark web, just normal internet. Uh, that has the ability to do key logging and copy uh stuff from your clipboard uh as you're typing it uh, and it can steal stuff from browser passwords so if you've got it saved in your your browser's password list these kinds of things can get that so no matter which way they had it once this was installed they would have had access to it uh, in some way shape or form i don't understand about this is it's like i don't know what the u.s equivalent of the computer misuse act is like why are we doing like suing instead of criminal proceedings I think isn't the stat isn't there a statute of limitations? I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I think there might three be three and a half years after, and it's three year statute. Yeah, and I don't know as well because they were mi I don't know if because they were minors at the time, so they they would maybe would have been exempt from um, prosecution. But the the, the, the belief the, the the people they believe are the culprits were UK computer science students at that at that time, um, and at that time they were they would. The suggestion is they were exempt from prosecution because they were uh, because they were underage. Well, that's the interesting thing. That, so they're suing the parents because they were underage at the time, but they're not now. But then, I mean, you make a good point, um, Paul, because surely if they're suing from when it happened back then, then they should be suing for the amount of the Bitcoin was back then. It's it's like saying oh, I'm going to sue someone in no. 200 years when when my money's no. worth loads more. I'd, I'd be suing to get my property back. My property is 16 and a half bitcoins. Mm. I don't want the monetary value. I want the thing. Mm. So it's like saying, like, if somebody stole a piece of artwork from me, like, I don't want the monetary equivalent of whatever it may be worth 10 years from now. I want my art back. And that's what they're saying. Like, he wants his crypto back. Yeah, because which, that, which is true because crypto yeah. isn't actually defined as currency anyway. It's defined as uh, property. So, yeah, you're right. You're right, Kev. All right, concede. Yeah, we're so assuming, we're, we're going to assume that they have that that's long gone yeah. and they've they've sold it or well, done whatever I mean, do the, with it. I've spaffed it as OGs buying Twitter <laughs> handles or whatever. Yeah, probably. <laughs> the reason it took three years is because like, he had to track them down. Like he didn't know who they were. And I think it was a Krebs article that eventually uh like tied those final pieces together. Good he, Krebs uh, or bad Krebs. Hey, hang on, is Krebs, uh, bad Krebs. Out, is Krebs outing people again? 
I is. don't know. I I haven't looked at it. Enough, He's also but, um, pasted the letter. Dear Mr. Reed and Mrs. Wells, or Mrs. Wells. So Why does he do this? You know, but I found something else out when I was watching a webinar. Good Krebs has got a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for some like really insightful piece of information then. Wow. I should have known better. This is Paul. This is Chris Krebs, um, for, for those who don't. Chris Krebs versus, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, sorry you for to, uh, you have to well, listen to I, the I, other forty four yeah, episodes. I'm, rely- I'm on. relying on people to have listened to the previous forty four episodes <laughs> up to now to know that to know that we um we have before suggested that maybe Brian Krebs, despite the fact that he is an investigative journalist, and I understand what that entails, my challenge is here is that he is um he is publicizing allegations um not in the context of them being allegations, if, if, if you see what I mean. Um, and he's done this before where it's like, you know, there was a bit of OSINT done and it turns out the individual is X and then, and then he names them. I just don't really understand why there's this need to name them. He's also been relatively um, hyperbolic about the, um, in, the sent- in the first sentence of his article, in 2018, and Andrew Schober was digitally mugged for approximately $1 million worth of Bitcoin. Very approximate, and, isn't it? Well, A, it was 780000 yeah. if you use today's numbers. <laughs> B, back then, it was whatever it was, 58K. I think the other thing is we don't know... Um, we don't know the ages of these individuals at the time, um, and I think that's a careful. I think that's a, like a pretty careful line that you that you have to tread. I think you can't, you know, you you, you can't associate criminal behaviour. So if he's used the word mugged, you've implied you've implied criminal behaviour. But if they are exempt from prosecution in the context of you know, in the context of the criminality, um, I don't think you can. I don't think you can do that. I just, I feel disappointed in that. I enjoy reading his stuff, and I think it's always very insightful. And I, I like that he's just not a fan of redacting anything. And I think that he, that's maybe a little. Maybe he doesn't have the software. I don't know, but I feel like maybe that's a thing that he should try to add to his repertoire. <laughs> he hasn't got the bleep machine for his articles. Is that what you're saying? Chris? I just uh, don't understand what. I don't understand what putting the person's name in the it's article. A better, it's a better. Uh, Tackle, isn't it? I tell you, I tell you what it achieves. Uh, he's from my hometown. I'm going up there next week. I'll get the exclusive direct from Oliver Paul. <laughs> oh well, um, maybe you went to maybe you went to school with this uh, person. Oh, is it actually true? Are you actually? I thought you were. I thought you were being no, like. No, he, he's been actually yeah, from your hometown. Yeah, 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 hang on, another delinquent. Another cyber delinquent. And now, in fairness, Kev, Kev wasn't a cyber delinquent. Kev planted a bomb, and that's a different thing. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. no, true. Didn't plant no. But, didn't plant a bomb. He exploded a bomb. Again, uh, again, listeners. Again, listeners. If you haven't listened to if you haven't listened to earlier episodes, you are missing out on some of this gold. The difference between explosive and incendiary, I think, Kev. All right, let's not get technical. Max, the, um, what's the minor? What, uh, how old do you have to be to be a minor in the UK? 16. 16. 16. So these, uh, I'm just, what's interesting about this, so these kids are under the age of 16, right? When they um, did this, like, fair juice to them. They've conned a grown adult out of 16 and a half Bitcoin yeah. by well, that's the computer. That's well the story. That's the They're story, at isn't it? Disc- um, studying computer science. And honestly, let's if get you're out there listening to this podcast. Apply for a job at Immersive Labs. 
Yeah, there Ooh, you that's go. a bold. Well, that's bold. <laughs> I mean, you know, pl- plug ourselves. Maybe they should. They should have gone on to our program. That would then they wouldn't be stealing. <laughs> well, a, so two million, million dollars. To talk about. Or... Yeah, but we'd have anything to talk about. And plus, they don't need to work for us because they've got a million dollars worth of Bitcoin. <laughs> so on that point, though, um, I am assuming that the reason, even if at the time these individuals had been identified after spending ten thousand dollars worth on 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 private investigators they still would have had they still would have had to have been extradition like imagine they were of an age where they could be prosecuted they would have had to have been like extradition proceedings like all that kind of stuff because is where is the crime where is the crime Uh, committed i i think there's more to this Uh, i think it's something that people miss over so the malicious program was called electromatum Uh, and this was like shared and spread. So he's one victim. There are probably a lot more people. So we know about this one, but people don't release malware and targeting individuals. Like they just release it broadly out to the world. This thing is dis- disguised as a Bitcoin wallet, which means they're targeting Bitcoin from other people. So I would expect they didn't just get one person, they got many. Still in the land of crypto, a hacker has returned $336,000 to a British collector after he tricked him into buying a fake Banksy uh, NFT, which as we all know is a non-fungible token, (laughs) which was advertised through the artist's official website. So, so reading that first part of the article makes me think that... um, the Banksy site must have been compromised in some way in order to advertise that fake token, or was it that the token was real but the fake was sold? I'm already a bit confused. So, Kev, can you clear up how how did they manage to get it onto Banksy.co.uk, which is what happened? Well, so the the thing on Banksy.co.uk is just a web page that says this is a token. So the the web page doesn't contain the actual token. Mm. Uh, so. We don't know how they managed to uh, compromise the Banksy website and how they managed but to they did. that thing. But they did. Yeah. Uh, but that's just a link to somewhere else. So Probably cross-site scripting, in fairness, usually is. <laughs> uh, no, this will be uh, like RFI, LFI, or maybe just credentials, like if they brute force the password for the WordPress. Better be something really, yeah, I was going to put WordPress in the, in the crosshairs. Uh, I haven't looked, so <laughs> Username I don't Banksy, know. Username Banksy, password Bristol, you're in. I don't know what Banksy's site is, but it's probably going to be something like that if it is WordPress, like a vulnerable plugin. But that's just to get the web page up that says this thing is for sale. That's just your digital billboard. Mm. Uh, that doesn't contain the actual NFT. Uh, the NFT itself, like, anybody can create an NFT. Like, it's... The, I the hate NFTs. Authenticity just... comes in. <laughs> so I could go and create an NFT now. The authenticity comes from me saying, I have created this NFT and this is its address on the blockchain. Um, so in this instance... Literally um, worthless. Like li- in every way, worthless. Matt, <laughs> you don't like NFTs, keep, do you? No. I idiots hate keep NFTs. buying digital nothing. And then, and this is just even worse because you're an idiot. Number one, you spent loads of money. On, <laughs> you spent loads of money on nothing. Number two, and you spent loads of money on a fake nothing. It's like it's like the trifecta. Uh, look, 
Look, Max, anything is only worth what someone is prepared to pay for it. That's what market. That's what a market value is. So if people want to pay end of the for world. nothing, then NFTs you can't are literally stop them, the end of, of everything. So people spending <laughs> 290 grand on. Yeah, go on. Go on, Kev. Sorry. NFTs have a place in the world. Like not, the the concept of a non fungible token yes, okay, has a agreed. place. The idea of treating it like artwork and is something that's utterly ridiculous. Like yeah. properly, utterly. Well, this is all very, this is ridiculous. All, this is Pedals. all very balanced so far. So good work, everyone. <laughs> I would normally try to add some balance here, but I just don't care enough about it. <laughs> oh, well, there you are. That's balance. What I, what I did uh, like. What I did like is is didn't get the the. The transaction fees back which were five thousand pounds so so you bought yeah, nothing you got the money back but you still paid spent five thousand pounds no, they the just, they do, it's, it's all it's all monopoly money isn't it they're buying it with bitcoin yeah no but it, unless you were like back in the early days of mining your own crypto he will have paid actual cash monies uh, to get that bitcoin those, to get crypto that bitcoin. is a i i see the reason for crypto and why people buy crypto don't buy nfts with crypto <laughs> <laughs> Just... why is it because are you saying don't do that because stuff like this happens yeah no because they're pointless well also they're, they're literally <laughs> ignoring worthless. somebody being scamming I mean, you. I, i'm confused i don't understand how they can be pointless when somebody in the context of this story spent two hundred and forty-four thousand pounds more say, money say, than say, cents but say you make an nft of a banksy and you make an nft of a digital banksy any one of us can do that so how the the whole economics of scarcity versus it just doesn't make any sense for for nfts like someone can just make a copy of that digital banksy and then make another nft i do yeah. think it, i do think it's worth like just getting out of the nerdy part of this i know it's a cyber podcast blah but the um banksy for those of our listeners uh, that aren't uh, familiar is a graffiti artist that has um that uh, from bristol in fact uh, which is where immersive labs uh, are based in the uk and he his artwork is um you know really valuable people love it and one of the things that he did is a bit of a gimmick and that's why this story is actually super interesting in a in a parallel sense he auctioned off one of his paintings i think it was at I christie's love, yeah, this or is somewhere. a great love story this. yeah and as uh, the winning bid came in and the um the auctioneer's hammer or gravel fell to mark the auction the, gr the auction gravel end. Is it gravel, gravel? Fell? Yeah. I think it's gravel. A gavel. Gavel. A gavel. gavel. Oh, gavel. Okay, sorry. Gravel is something gravel else. Is... Someone was like sprinkling <laughs> gravel on the... Okay. <laughs> Reminds me of a Slack message I sent to Chris earlier where I wanted to say rogue, but I, sp I wrote rouge. rouge. <laughs> and it made the sentence less impactful. Um, anyway, so... Much like this story. <laughs> I was trying to bring some more interest to this whole thing. The story's interesting, but you've segued completely away from it. Which it wasn't my fault picking up on my, my grammar anyway as the auction ended the Banksy painting which was in a frame then self-destructed it shredded itself oh, yeah there was like a shredder the there was a shredder built into the bottom of the frame which was remotely triggered wasn't it and then and it, I think it yeah, got it stuck halfway through or something or got turned off but I mean there's all a massive gimmick because surely somebody saw the fact that this painting was plugged in to the wall and like had a shredder yeah. built into I, it I, I, battery-powered battery-powered shredder yeah well yeah yeah that's how it was done 
Mm. Battery powered, remotely triggered. <laughs> anyway, anyway, look, we are digressing. But what I, the interesting bit, or the bit that was interesting to me, was the lack of mention, really, of the fact that Banksy's website had been hacked. They, so the guy obviously got conned. The hacker got, it feels like the attacker got called from, using the word hacker as a pejorative in this article, we should pick up the BBC on that. Um, but the, the attacker got, got cold feet and then gave, like, of the money, gave what they could give back banks the banksy website whoever's responsible for it or banksy's people um didn't have anything to say other than um you know banksy doesn't create nft artworks and made no comment on the fact that their website had clearly been compromised by a Ooh. by an attacker uh i'm looking at the banksy's website this looks like it's a static site so it's not using Something like yeah, WordPress or Joomla or anything like that. Uh, it's protected by Cloudflare as well. So this it's like, yeah, no, this is, yeah, this could be clever. Or this could be Banksy. I think it's Banksy. <laughs> it just be, it's, it's <laughs> straight yeah. off the Banksy's whole thing flavor. could you be Banksy. Because interestingly, interestingly, the, the guy who bought, the, the guy who supposedly bought, air quotes, the, um, the NFT um, is called Pranksy. Pranksy. His online name is Pranksy, which to me is just a little bit too... Banksy does like making fun out of people, doesn't he? And and he should make fun yeah. out of everyone who buys yeah. NFT. <laughs> yes, very good. Thanks. But Jay Tidy, the, uh, the journalist, is, I don't know that he would have gone to press with it if he, wasn't, if he thought it was a publicity stunt by Banksy. Well, this is the thing about journalism in the digital age, isn't it? Like the the quoted the quoted sources in this article are Banksy's team telling the BBC that Banksy doesn't do NFT and they're not affiliated with Banksy. The guy who they have an online name for but not an actual name and is called the prominent NFT collector, which actually could mean could mean anything. And Banksy could very quickly become a prominent NFT collector because I'm assuming he's got quite a lot of money. Um, and then, you know, the fact that... And that's it. Those are the only... Oh, and, and then an expert, a, a, a quote from a cryptocurrency analysis company um, saying there was nothing the buyer could do once the order had been once the order had been placed. So I, I hear you, and I think Joe does do good work, um, but it feels like this is... Yeah, there's not quite, there aren't quite enough real sources in here for me for this to be convincing. Uh, and am I right in thinking here? Has Pranksy's Twitter uh, been suspended as well? Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. Like, uh, assuming that is the legitimate Pranksy uh, NFT, it has been suspended on Twitter. Oh, it's it's all um, yeah. So it's dripping, <laughs> it's dripping, it's dripping with intrigue, with rampant speculation, which is what we do best. Anyway, um, still to talking. to do the disclaimer at the start of the, the podcast, Chris. Oh, no, we've done loads of talking. <laughs> no. What if people believe the things that we say? Well, you should believe them. It's just that we're not experts. Oh, thanks oh, for clearing that up. Pranks' Instagram is still live. Oh, is he sharing all of his NFTs on uh, on Instagram? All nine posts. <laughs> is it pictures of his food? <laughs> <laughs> Well, he hasn't got much, just pot noodles. Now he's five grand down. So still talking about cryptocurrency, I read an, uh, or I stumbled on an article this week um, talking about the fact that, uh, and this had been launched way back in 2020, so I'm well out of the loop, but Kevin, uh, Kevin, Max and Paul are going to enlighten me on the, on the Chinese yuan, which is a, um, 
which is Chinese, the China's own cryptocurrency. This is a thing that they that they launched way back, apparently. Um, and there are pilot programs running in cities in China. I had no idea that China were doing this. But of course, the question that I'm bound to ask is, how on earth can cryptocurrency work in a country like China? It's not cryptocurrency. Oh, oh. So what so is it then? Oh, it's a digital it's, currency. It's though. a digital currency. Oh, it's just like the Bristol pound. But Bristol's getting a lot of airtime, isn't it? And it's like the Bristol pound thing. You could you could basically buy them instead of actual use actual. Yeah. Pounds, so yeah. Uh, uh, in the light of growing popularity uh, with things like Bitcoin, uh, then China thought they need to combat that. And what better way of combating a distributed cryptocurrency than to start your own non-distributed digital currency uh which is exactly what they did uh, so it's a digital currency electronic payment so it works in a very similar way to um like any normal transaction really like you you have an application on your phone like you scan a barcode like you'll touch contactless payments you'll scan a qr code like it's exactly the same but rather than being backed by like actual money or like I don't think they actually use gold anymore, do they? But whatever it's backed by, it must still be backed by something somewhere. So yeah, they, they, so they, it doesn't have a blockchain. So the blockchain is in in uh, Bitcoin is public, and that's the the thing that makes it um, uh, decentralized. Whereas here, it's a centralized uh, ledger, which is similar to the blockchain, but it's centralized. So only. Only the Chinese government can see it and therefore regulate it and therefore ah. do whatever they want. How, to surpri it. how surprising! <laughs> how surprising that it's centrally held by the Chinese government. I wonder if they still use. I wonder if it is actually a cryptocurrency. Then, if it is, but a they're running a single node or a, con a set of contained nodes rather than public nodes because you could still leverage the same. There are there are the same technology. Yeah, there are centralized um, cryptocurrencies out there. I, I haven't just reading up on this one itself but um so you can do that with the blockchain but keep it um private um but i'm not sure it, it does say it's a digital currency rather than a cryptocurrency but obviously for yeah. in the the benefits for china is that they they have all that data about everything that everyone buys ever on on the whole currency see i'm not opposed to this because like i the one of the benefits of the Kev world the dying to COVID. Uh, no, like I absolutely love the fact that I don't have to carry cash around with me anymore. Like if I want to buy a sandwich from the sandwich store down the corner, I can pay by tapping contactless. So well, going that's cash all right free, for you isn't it, Kev? Going cash free is fun. It is all right for me. I mean, me. yeah, yeah I said, COVID, COVID I like is definitely accelerating the cash free <laughs> nature of the. Oh thing, yeah, I, I I can't remember the last time I I, I used I've, any of I've, that plastic money for I've anything. been I've been trying to pump up the tires on my car. And I, I haven't had a pound for like a month to go <laughs> go and put it in trolley the, coins. Yeah, I literally. I'm about to buy a trolley coin. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't pump up my my tires because I don't have a pound. <laughs> anyway, we digress. Uh, cash was used for 17 percent of all payments in 2020, down from 45 percent. 45 percent. Wow, that's surprising. Forty-five percent in two thousand fifteen. Seventeen percent of all payments in twenty twenty uh, were made with cash. Everything else uh, was made via contactless or equivalent. So that one of the things in the context of this yuan digital currency that the um, that the Chinese government are espousing that, um, despite the fact that you just described that all of the 
um, all of the transactions are visible cent centrally to the government, um, those transactions may not necessarily be visible to both sides of the transaction. So they're introducing something called controllable anonymity, which basically means that if I'm exchanging money with you, I can, we can remain anonymous to one another while the government knows exactly who we are and what we spent money on. So that sounds good for privacy, doesn't it? <laughs> it's pretty clever. And, and obviously they're, they're using it as a, uh, to downplay the kind of um, how important the dollar is as well. So that's another kind mm. of bonus for, for China. I mean, that was the whole point of, of cryptocurrency initially, wasn't it? And decentralizing, you know, decentralizing currency was supposed to be stopping that idea that, you know, what something's worth should be reliant on, um, you know, currencies in particular countries, which I don't fundamentally, I don't fundamentally disagree with. It's just obviously in this, in this case, the technology, it feels as though we're bound to say, um, in the context of not wanting to sound like a privacy nut, episode 44, ladies and gentlemen, um, is that, um, it is that there is that kind of idea that the government now knows like pretty much everything about you the more you use the the more you use the tech um the more the government the more the government knows now talking of which um also in beijing uh, in an effort to dampen the influence of the country's tech giants regulators are now going after um the exploitative use of algorithm powered user recommendations um what uh, Paul? I guess you're you're a good person to come to on on this. What what is it that they're restricting, and why does this why is this a thing that matters? It's, this is interesting. It's part of a wider. It's I think it's really interesting because China have come to. There's been a bunch of articles on this, not just mm. the algorithms, but also the kind of restrictions on games, and it's this um, gaming. And I think there's another um, bit that they've been talking about recently, and it and it's a whole load. It's the Cyberspace Administration of China (CAC) have started um, in the algorithm sense, forbidding companies from deploying algorithms that encourage addiction or high consumption. Mm. Uh, or endanger national security or disrupt the public order. Now, what's if you if you look at that, and that is China's response to, for example, what happened in the Capitol riots over in the in the states. Imagine if the algorithms that kind of put thought bubbles onto Facebook, where people thought that the election had been stolen and all those kind of things, were used in China. You're going to start to see kind of really, you know interesting effects that an authoritative state like China probably wouldn't want to happen. And I find it this really interesting because we've, we've talked about this before on the podcast. Um, what was that? Um, was it a Netflix documentary that talked about the addiction? Um, yes, was it, it was like, kind yeah, of a um, social, what was it called? Social, um, the, yeah. Social Dilemma, I think it's called. Social Dilemma, but it was really well done, that dog. And we have alluded yeah. to this, but I love the way we're referring to all these previous episodes. Um, but yeah, we, we talked about it at the, at the time, and it's really cleverly done, just for context. It's really cleverly done. It's like a, co a combination of sort of drama and documentary and, and insight. It is really, it's really good. It's a, it's a good watch. And, and I think at the time we saw it, and we were all feeling a bit uncomfortable mm. about it. We're thinking these, these algorithms in you know Facebook, Instagram, etc., are making us addicted to them. I know that I certainly deleted Facebook off my phone because I was like, actually, I am quite addicted to this, just random scrolling and the, the way. And I guess and what China is doing, which I kind of salute them. I mean, I don't really like it from my kind of freedom perspective, but kind of like doing something about the way that the addiction 
economy is built feels like an interesting thing to do and kind of and and they're doing it not only with the algorithms uh, but also with gaming mm. they um i don't know whether they want to go straight into the gaming thing but they're banning they're saying that people under the age of 18 are only allowed to play computer games between 8 p.m and 9 p.m thursday friday saturday and on public holidays yeah. oh that's you- like uh, that's like drinking in some southeast asian countries but the other way around uh, in some southeast asian countries they'll have a public holiday and that's the time that you can't drink on election day in thailand you can't drink oh yeah that's the thing yeah well the same in mexico latam yeah. as well and uh, uh, brazil i've seen it but well. i suppose this is actually interestingly giving those giving those countries as examples it's that kind of it's that difference between government with a big you know government with a big g isn't it kind of how how prepared is a government to intervene in the day-to-day lives of its citizens um, and I guess the question will then be, well, at what point do these clampdowns, you know, mean a restriction of freedom? And But I see your point of view, Paul. What you're getting at is if there has been a recognition that certain algorithms that basically encourage or not promote but result in addictive behaviours, if it is recognised that that is what they do, um, then maybe users should be informed maybe that's a, you know maybe that's well, a good thing that regulation that should be introduced in other countries maybe we should be told that what we're seeing you know the reason you're seeing this here is a result of the use of an algorithm because maybe i'd have a different attitude to clicking through or looking at it in the first place or opening that app i mean in in the uk we, we hear all the time about uh, you know all this many hours the average child spends in front of a tv or playing games and and there's always things on the radio about oh this is this is why this is so bad for for you know everything about they don't go outside and and health and and addicted to the screen and addicted to games and everything else and yeah this is a a pretty drastic other end of the spectrum to it that oh this is what you can do in an authoritarian regime you just go we don't like that kids get addicted to games so none of them will both through the algorithms and through playing obviously i don't i don't like what it's the reasons behind it like they they banned recently they banned all lists of celebrities because it was creating a negative fan culture or something so you can't list Mm. a celebrity Mm. anymore in a ranking because that people were arguing online about who is the best celebrity in blah blah which it just it's quite weird to me like these things seem on in the context of the, the massive human rights issues they have in china seems really like surface level kind of problems which makes me suspicious because it's like well what what is it really going on what the algorithms actually uh gonna stop people do or gonna make people do and how will china manipulate them basically because because china's china's banning them china's banning them from use for other companies but it won't ban them for use itself right so it can use those algorithms to do things it is banning them from chinese that's the whole that's the whole purpose that's the whole purpose the big uh, the big chinese companies are being banned from using but but i assume it wouldn't it wouldn't stop the government themselves using those algorithms like there'll be nothing to stop them doing that in certain i don't know i don't know how that works in china i don't know if for example the chinese government get access get intimate access to alibaba group technology or, or or huawei technology i mean do we know that for sure i suppose we, I d- yeah i, d- I, I suppose don't know we sort of do i suppose we sort but of I, do know that happens 
I, w- I would guess, and, and, and disagree if you disagree, but um, I'd guess they would want algorithms that would do things like this for tracking, for you know, uh, machine learning, all those kind of. They 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 wouldn't want to just go, oh, let, let's turn it off for everyone. They'll be like, let's turn it off for the people who who can manipulate our citizens because we're the only ones allowed to do that. You know? Well, I suppose that's the point, isn't it? Let's—I mean, because to me, it feels like a lot of the language around how these things have been announced. Um, you know, it—it does—it does, um, does seem propagandary. Um, so, if we—if if we quote some of the rationale behind the the limiting of the gaming time, for example, teenagers are the future of our motherland. Protecting the physical and mental health of minors is related to the people's vital interests and relates to the cultivation of the younger generation in the era of national rejuvenation. You would think that the reason that kind of language is used is because there is a majority in the Chinese population who agree that, you know, that that all this, you know, gaming or using too much social media, whatever it is, um, you know, is the, um, you know, is the beginning of moral decay. And so therefore the government is going to do something about that. Um, the, the challenge is that the Chinese games market, you know, has taken a massive hit off the, well, not massive, but a big enough hit off the back of that. Um, and other gaming, other like, gaming surely, company stocks are down as well. Surely it'll destroy the whole games industry. You know, get, most games have been designed not to be played for one hour, three times. In, mm, you know, of course. Kev's more of a gamer than, than me, but like, what can you do in one hour, three times a week on any game that's been released in the last 10 years? Probably not a lot. Get very frustrated with having to... <laughs> yeah, forgetting where you've stop got after an hour. Like, are they just going to... I'm assuming that... Like, People aren't going to plan this. I've got my hour. I've got to stop before that. And you're going to you're going to be going along and like, I'm 10 minutes away from a save point. Like, I'm just trying to get there. And then, ah, they've cut me off. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, the practical... Again, the practicalities of, like, a Switch. Like, how are they going to stop me playing a Switch? Like, is somebody going to come around and, like, look in my window and see that well, I'm not playing about my online. game? They're talking about online, aren't they, principally? Yeah, I assume they would just turn off the online ones. But... Surely there'll just be a massive black market in in offline games. Well, I mean, like most most games, you can play in either single player mode or in multiplayer mode. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what what they're actually achieving there. Now, usually at this point in the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, we would wrap up with uh, with hackers could, but Paul shared an interesting tweet um, of a photograph of a looks like a healthcare worker in a place that could be America Um, and she is holding a sign that says 573 days face to face with COVID patients while unvaccinated never got COVID I have an immune system don't mandate my choices so that's what you can see in the picture and Snopes who many of you um, might be familiar with the kind of sort of famous um, like myth busting website it's a good place to go and check if you're and Paul will empathize with this I'm sure if your mum sends you something like on WhatsApp Snopes is a really (laughs) good place to go yeah yeah anything your mum has shared on Facebook um, Snopes is a really good place to obviously go and fact check whether that thing is true uh, or not. Uh, and this guy, Brecht Castle, who is a journalist and fact checker, um, has has had a look at this photograph. So, 
I think it's also important, Chris, that we remember that it was put online in Denmark, yep. so it looks like an American, and it was shared 424,000 times and viewed by 44 million people. So it's it's quite a provocative statement that's been viewed by a lot of people. Okay, and so how do they actually go about, I mean, it's all there in this massive long thread, um, but how do they actually go about finding who was in this image, where the image was, and fact-checking whether that whether I guess they were looking to really fact check whether it was real or not. Okay, well I'll do I'll do the first bit and then maybe we can t tag in. So look, the first thing they do is it's it's a woman. It's she's got um, English text, but she's also got a background behind her. So I'm trying to, and it looks a little bit like America. There's no clues, so there's no street signs or anything. There's no geolocation in the image. Um, but maybe we could find some more context. So what they did was. Um, they took the text and they did um, in Facebook search. You can actually Facebook um, algorithms pulls text out of pictures, so you can search the text. So they did the search and then they found lots of pictures with the same woman in. So that was a really obviously a great part. And now they've got loads of different angles on her. And it's the same so woman then, holding the same card. Yeah, so can exactly. we assume so that it's not? We can assume that it's not photoshopped. It is somebody holding up that card in that place. Yeah, that's right. It's like it's almost like she's at a bit of a process. So the original image was almost like a cropped in version of just her. But then when you do the image search for the text on the sign, then you can in Facebook, then you can start to see all the other images of her and lots of different angles, lots of different locations. So that's pretty cool. Great breakthrough. In one of the images, they start to see partial signs say so there's one that said parkway and one with like all you could see is enterra like so a part of a sign so that was the next part that they did which i think is pretty clever i, I don't know if this is standard stuff kev max yeah this kind of way that you do this yeah it's uh, I, this yeah. if yeah go right, carry on i'll, I'll chip in no no go, go yeah on, the, go, I, I mean it's it is a great example uh, like finding similar images with the same person or uh, similar similar images in the same place is uh it's amazing what these uh, people do online like how how far they go and you can see there that they eventually find like a map location of where they're they're at and then other people who've stood around and, and similar like and they go into clothes and stuff yeah it's um yeah. it's really really interesting so i think what Brett tries to do next is he knows that one of the images was uploaded with street names uploaded by a person from new hampshire but all he could see was Parkway. Now, there are a lot of Parkways in New Hampshire, so they, that didn't really help. But then what he decided to do was take another person from the image and then pivot from there. And then they found it was called Centera Parkway. And so now they're on the home straight. So they found Centera Parkway, they go into Google Maps, they find the exact image so they can confirm that the kind of image from Street View and Google Maps is the same background image from this one. And then all of a sudden, they can really like confirm that they've geolocated the picture. And then they can start to do a little bit more interesting sort of what's the purpose mm. behind this. So they've Street Viewed the picture, they then zoom out to Google Maps and they can see that there's a, a large private hospital, the Dartmouth Hitchcock 
Medical Center, and um, and then they can look for other photos from the same demonstration. It's all an anti-vax protester, and then they get to the real killer bit, which is that there's a um, a website called Sue DHMC, which is Sue Dartmouth Hitchcock Medical Center, uh, because they've made the COVID vaccine mandatory for the employees of the hospital. So, and then you can go into the news, and then so on and so forth, and then you find out what's going wrong and and why these people were sort of campaigning uh, campaigning against it so yeah i mean it's super interesting and then it goes into more of the kind of uh, motivations behind the individuals he does um he does keep the names anonymous which is good um but he does say that he he did find her name on a list of registered nurses in the state of new hampshire so they can confirm which i guess is one of the important things you know in the context of the photo is is this really a healthcare professional holding up this sign and that can that can be confirmed what's also interesting is that the um the thing that they can identify as definitely not being true is that it is not possible for that woman to have worked been working with coronavirus patients for 573 days because 573 days earlier was ahead of the first confirmed case of coronavirus in the United States. So there is a discrepancy in her in her numbers, um, but what they do get to is yes, this is a healthcare professional in the US holding up this sign as 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 part of a protest. I mean, they didn't need to do all the OSIN to work the, out the maths on the number of days they did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a really good, and if anyone. Um, Look up Bellingcat if you're interested in this kind of stuff. So Bellingcat was a, I think he was, um, I think he was out of work. And when the the Syria, um, uh, you know, ISIS in in Syria and everything started, or was it? No, actually, sorry, it was uh, Ukraine. And what he started doing was just open source research online and basically put together the the downing of the plane uh, and showing that the Russians were in Ukraine at the time and I think they found a, a tank commander had tweeted like that oh I'm here and we've just shot down an enemy aircraft and it turned out that plane was the MH13 was it or, or MH30 or something 53 um, and, and Bellingcat now has a whole team and, and the stuff they do is incredible like there is um, they look at, they get given um, images, not not of child abuse, but p linked to child abuse. So pictures of a child uh, in a location and they will go through and you can read these very, very long and they, they go through and look at Google Earth and they, they find one corner of this photo and then they find it in the real place and then they track when it was taken taken and they and they have found um you know they've secured lots of uh abused children from doing that just from one photo uh so these these things online are, are really impressive and i mean it's it's crazy in the us that they have a massive debate about whether you should even get a covid vaccine but um it's it's good that there's people out there trying to you know put a stop to to the rubbish i i would counter that with like it can also be incredibly dangerous like because like internet vigilantism vigil vigilantism mm. yes that uh it can can go fairly wrong fairly quickly and we saw this with like the the capitol hill riots we saw lots of people trying to osint their way to find these individuals and in some cases p picking the wrong people and like setting people up who were then like 
brutalized yeah. and victimized despite not actually being anywhere near there at the time it happened so yes there's a massive amount of good but like this kind of techniques is often seen abused as well uh not just in that context but like stalking uh and that kind of stuff so yeah so uh, if anything lock down your facebook profile and then this wouldn't have happened well yeah or delete your facebook profile <laughs> yeah. it's not just your own profile though everyone it's, else it's everybody else's, else's as right. well so what did we learn we learned that the internet is both amazing and simultaneously terrible so thanks <laughs> yeah. everyone like, like, like every week pretty much <laughs> yeah same thing we do every week if you've enjoyed this podcast please do subscribe rate and comment wherever you get your audio content and if you want to know more about immersive labs you can find us at immersivelabs.com or follow us on twitter at immersive labs until next time from all of us goodbye goodbye goodbye, goodbye. goodbye.